0: Well, I'm privileged to be here. Thanks a lot, Winston, for putting me after Gail. Oh, man, that, that, that is an amazing talk. That chart about capacity and uh, responsibility, I'm, uh, I remember that chart 20 years ago, and, uh, and uh, I'm definitely past that midpoint. And Gail Jackson said, if you don't get this straight, you're definitely going to have heartburn. Heartburn. And what a a way to describe what happens to us if we don't get that straight. But heartburn. Hey, I was here in February of 1985. I gave a testimony here at this conference on uh, why I thought God was calling me to Hong Kong for life. Well, I'm back after 17 years. I'm back as a VCW, or a vocational Christian worker. My roommate Dick asked me, why don't you just come back to Colorado Springs? Why did you, why did you move to Boston? Well, I just really came here because I, I met Walt Hendrickson while well, I was at Dallas Seminary, and I was preparing for the ministry. I had been a uh, stockbroker at uh, Goldman Sachs in San Francisco, and uh, I felt very guilty about the association of money and what i was doing and i could not uh, figure out how not to compartmentalize my life It was so compartmentalized and i had so much tension that i just decided to go to seminary and all the tension dissipated as people patted me on the back and said oh you're so spiritual you're going to seminary and and then uh... Uh, learning to do ministry and then I met Walt and the tension came back. (laughs) So so I I was here because of him and everybody at that time was talking about they couldn't figure out whether Walt had any chink in his armor and then then I showed up. (laughs) uh, sorry, and uh, I traveling with him but anyway uh, you guys that's good you didn't you didn't get it because you're that's an old word that used to be a word they used back a long time ago anyway I've been in Hong Kong and uh, ministering to the chinese and i uh, this is a different culture here at the ranch uh, when we speak in Chinese audiences, uh, there's not a lot of interruptions or interactions, and everybody is just very polite, and very nice, and nobody says a word, so it's a little different. And, uh, but you know, God does like uh, Chinese people more when they're reading their Bibles than he likes Caucasian people, because when you guys read your Bible, you're like, like this. When the Chinese are reading the Bible, they're like this. of course I I don't know how to read Chinese but that's that's what they tell me anyway (laughs) but it's fair to say that I learned more about ministry from the one year of being here and also following Walt and There's pockets of guys like this all over the country. Uh, It is amazing. It's not just in Colorado Springs. And it is mind-blowing to come out of a, a place like I came out of, Dallas Seminary, where I thought I was going to be God's gift to the church and to the world and come out here and see ministry like I had never seen where ordinary laymen were uh, just in their little sphere of influence, making huge differences. It's absolutely mind-boggling. I would have to say I learned more about ministry in the 13 months I I traveled with Walton and, and, and hung out with you guys than I did in, in the four years at Dallas Seminary. And so this whole juxtaposition between a vocational Christian worker and being a layman is very prominent in my mind. Big issue, and uh, and I had wrestled with it all my life, and so I just grabbed onto this, and of course Winston has warned me to tone it down uh, in terms of this uh, layman stuff, and and of course uh, I I'm I'm going to talk about this juxtaposition at, just just as a teaching point, because of course in Hong Kong it was a big issue too. When I went to Hong Kong, they were preparing to go into. 1997 into China, and at that time we did not know what it would look like But the laymen in Hong Kong started to gear up for that time just in case because In 1948 when the communists took China uh, It became very hazardous to your health to be associated with the Christian Church or to be a missionary or to be a pastor and uh And it was tough. And so basically the, uh, the layman was gearing up that he knew that he had to take on the ministry. That just in case, we didn't know, the churches would be closed or pastors would be put in jail. It would be the common ordinary layman, the broker, the waiter, the teacher, the nurses, the cab drivers. They would pick up that ministry and they were preparing for that. And that's what I, w- I was recruited to. And so the juxtaposition or the contrast between the ministry of the laity and the ministry of the vocational Christian worker has been very stark with me and very strong and prominent with me during these past years. And so I am going to talk a little bit of what I've learned about that. <clears throat> one person that uh, I will never forget I want to tell you about uh is the guy who started it all my uh, uh spiritual pappy, a guy who led me to Christ and uh, I can't get through this story ever without uh without uh cracking up here but let me try to tell you uh how I came to know the Lord I was uh Uh, It was a failed marriage that brought me to Christ. I had graduated from uh, UC Berkeley and uh, I delayed my entrance going into the US Army. I was in ROTC at the time and I got into ROTC because uh, during that period I was cramming four years of college into five. and. The draft did not look kindly on that, and it was the Vietnam War. And so I had to jump into ROTC to turn my 1A classification into a 1D. Before I knew it, it became real. I delayed a year, went to New York, and got married nine days before I had to ship overseas to Germany and uh, we had uh, marital problems from the very beginning. I remember our day after our honeymoon, the, we, were going, we were actually going to the honeymoon, day after the wedding. Uh, we had a, such a big fight in the car that my, my, my wife threatened to get out right there on Van S and Market Street in San Francisco. And then when we got to Tahoe, I took uh, the money we got from the wedding and played craps and blackjack with it. And, and uh, lost it down to just $85 and at 2:30 in the morning I said to my wife honey I think if we go to the south shore if we went down to heavenly valley instead I could change my luck please let me do that and so I 2:30 in the morning we drove to the south shore took that $85 and won most of it back but it was not a good start to our marriage and uh we were in Germany, we had lost our community, lost our culture, and of course everybody's talking about killing gooks in Nam at that time. They had all been over in Vietnam, I was getting ready to go. I look in the mirror and I say, I think I'm a gook. And, uh, so I was quite alienated by that whole thing, and we were gonna call it a quits in our marriage. Was now working out. Just at that time, some Department of Defense civilians, DOD civilians, came into our life, and uh, they invited us over to their home for lasagna. And over that lasagna, I mean, I, did, I still remember clearly that night. And of course, every time I eat lasagna, not right now I think about that night. But they shared with us Christ. They shared with us their life. I was a guy from Texas, uh, uh, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. David Otis, Married a Japanese American uh, girl, uh, and everybody on the base confused my wife with her. And they, they think we all look alike, something. And and so we became friends because they kept on confusing us. And uh, they shared with us the, the, the life they had. They were actually new Christians. And my wife started listening carefully. I, I was scoffing and just thinking, this is a joke, and I know, I know about this, I just don't want to have anything to do with it, but my wife was really listening to it as a credible story, and uh, and she asked that question that was talked about last night, well, what is it about your life that it, that really is so different? I mean, that's that's when the conversation started, and they said, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I remember my wife at that time saying, what else? And... Uh, But that was it, and she she was just amazing. And a couple Sundays after that, we went to an American church in downtown Gießen, Germany, on the economy as Little Baptist Church. And uh, Pastor Bob Ferguson uh, gave an altar call, and uh, we had to sit through five or six verses of Just As I Am. I don't know if you guys know that song, but in the old days, instead of singing the choruses, they used to sing these hymns like, uh, just as I am without one plea. You know, five times. Is there anyone out there wanting to receive Christ? And so we sing another verse. And then we, let's sing another verse of that. And we sing it again. And then all of a sudden my wife gets up. And I go, oh, no.
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, and, uh, Pastor Ferguson says, well, let's sing another verse of that. It's, uh, and is there anyone else out there? I mean, there's only 37 people in the whole church. I mean, who are they singing that song for, you know? They sang that over and over again. I just I just nailed my butt to that seat, and I said, no way am I going to do this. And uh, that was one of the hardest things I, I've ever done. I've, I didn't do it. That was pressure. I mean, big time, Baptist pressure. And uh, But I knew that God was calling me. And uh, I saw my wife's life change, and it was a couple of weeks later in the uh, coffee house with German soldiers, I mean the American soldiers in Germany, and the love, of Christ that was displayed, uh, the, uh, the, just the call, I mean, uh, just just chance to have another whole new life. Uh, the life I had had in front of me was just uh, uh, failure. Uh, we were getting a divorce, and uh, uh, I just capitulated and uh, and gave my life to Christ. Uh, it was uh, quite uh, a dramatic moment at that coffee house, and uh, my life turned around. And I think that later I learned evangelism because uh, I was thrust into that coffee house, and start sharing my faith every night. Now was April of 1972, and uh, how grateful I am to uh, June and David Otis, who changed our marriage and changed our life. And, uh, you know, I asked myself, what if they had decided not to invite us for dinner? or What if they decided, nah, you're too busy and had not had us over? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to me that... Uh, uh, people loved us enough to uh, share this message. Anyway, my uh, uh, my wife Sunday school came or c- came over to our house and <clears throat> one day and they looked at our photo album of our wedding and they said, pointed to me, I was quite uh, skinny at that time. He said, "Who's that?" And my wife says, "Oh, that's my first husband." And uh, I think it's a great answer because, of course, I always tell her the Holy Spirit weighs 50 pounds. Um, when I look at that picture, and there I am on that wedding day, 127 pounds, smiling away. Heading into a disastrous relationship, just going over the cliff, not even knowing it. Just, what a dork.
1: <laughs>
0: My job this morning is to uh, teach on evangelism. And as uh, Bob Foster said last night, I got assigned this topic by Winston, and it's a hard subject to teach on. Because it's a lot like teaching on snowboarding or teaching juggling or teaching uh, windsurfing. I mean, you basically just got to go out and do it. And But there are pointers that can be given. And it, can get, it gets boring, though. But I, th- I said to myself, with a group like this, a group that I was first awed with, I was so impressed with the men in Colorado Springs. I said, well, what can, what can I tell you about evangelism? Well, I think it's about a heart, having a heart, having to ratchet yourself up to another level, to have you think, breathe, live, function, and have evangelism on your life, on your mind, as part of your lifestyle. And since this conference is being about a workman, A workman is able to handle accurately the Word of God. I mean, there's no more important activity to think about or talk about than having a heart for evangelism, because that's what it's all about. That's what we are workmen for, is it not? To be a functioning workman, you must know how to present the gospel. You must know what it takes to lead someone to Christ, in case you get asked. Now, I'm going to talk about... How a layman does evangelism differently than from a professional, from a V.C.W. And uh, again, I I am now a V.C.W. I've been that way now for six months and trying to get used to it. And uh, and I'll be using the comparisons. But I just came back from a conference on short-term missions at, uh, in California, and uh, they wanted me to talk about and to motivate the crowd to go abroad and do evangelism, or do a short-term missions trip, and uh, as I submitted my outlines, they got worried, and they came to my room the night before the conference started, and they tried to talk to me about the problem with my outline, because basically, I, I basically said that if you're going to go abroad, if you're going to take... The call of God of the Great Commission, seriously, you got to really start right where you're at. you got to start right now. And the leader in Hong Kong used to say and make fun of Americans coming overseas. He'd, he'd say, well, what good is it to send a warm American over here when he doesn't know what to do when he gets here? And so at that conference, I basically talked about lay ministry. or are starting to, to do it right now. Because it's somehow for, you know, I think in, slight, in comparison, just the, uh, there's something in America that just puts a lid on things or there's not that much intensity or, or focus on evangelism here. Uh, as, I mean, I'm not talking about Colorado Springs. I'm talking about other places besides Colorado Springs. <laughs> but, you know, they, just the intensity. I don't know what it is. Um, we were at the Redeemer Church in New York. And they were talking about that came up with a couple reasons maybe we're too encumbered by our work we're just focused on our on our careers we're not going to let anything get in the way of that that is really our priority and if we've got time afterwards or it does not hurt our deals then we'll take time for evangelism or maybe it's because Americans really don't have it they just you know they just that's another reason why People don't get involved in evangelism. You just can't share what you don't have. Or maybe it's uh, we're tied up in church work versus uh, the work of the church. Uh, somehow there, there seems to be a correlation between uh, all the things we get involved in. I'm not saying that's bad, but, but it, it, it does not substitute for being a workman out in the marketplace. Or maybe we think it's not our job. It's a job for a pro, a job for someone else. Well, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we must prepare ourselves now to be an approved workman unto God. And I know you say to yourself, I'm doing evangelism. I'm doing a little bit little bit here, a little bit there. But I'm talking about going all the way. I'm talking about going nuts on it. I'm talking about just making it a part of that. Gentleman stood up and said, "I'm a fisherman. I mean, that's that's it. That that's our business. We are fishermen, and uh, that and that's what I'm talking about." And we ask ourselves, "So, what are we motivated by? Mm-hmm. And are we, we motive, motiva, re, uh, motivated by rewards or love? I think both can be motivating. I mean, we share Christ because we love Him. He's done so much for us. I'm talking about a red zone motivation." Motivation beyond pro bono work. You all know what pro bono is. People do something for you for free. And, and um, I, I, I've even had an attorney do something for me for free once. Uh, that's where I first heard the word pro bono. And, yeah, and, uh, you know, but all of a sudden, if that attorney got a bigger deal, put up... To, to get a huge fee to put together a big merger or an acquisition or something, he would drop my pro bono work in a minute. He said, I'm sorry, Lee, I got something big going on and got to do that. And, uh, and, and that's the difference between pro bono evangelism and, and uh, evangelism that's uh, really a f- part of a focus that we have of being counted as good workmen so that we will receive our reward in heaven there's something bigger than a $100,000 fee that we could get, something bigger that, that, uh, that uh, we could work for, I tell you, it just changes my attitude. I don't think you have to be a sleazy Chinese businessman from Hong Kong to, be, to, to, be, to learn how to be motivated by, by possibilities for big rewards and to get involved in the program as a result. Is being involved in the ministry of evangelism a right or a responsibility? Well, of course, it's both. It's both a right and a responsibility. But woe to the person who does not realize it is a responsibility is not optional. Jesus says in Mark 8:38, very sobering. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him. When he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Do we need a gift to do evangelism? No. There is a gift. It's not just for people with gifts. So I want to do three things this morning. And uh, I've got the initials. MGM. The movie house. To remember them. Know the model. M. Know the goal. G. Know the methodology. MGM. Model. Goal of evangelism and Methodology. Let me commit this to the Lord here for a second. Lord, take this talk. Take it to our hearts. Change our hearts. Only you can do that kind of that kind of work. Not our own devices. Not our own wisdom. You doing a work on us. We can become your workmen. To that end, commit this time to you with a grateful heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the model of, evangel- of evangelism, Jesus... Jesus is the model for, the best model for personal evangelism. There are many ways God could have chosen to reach the world. He could have come down. He could have stopped the sun, moved the stars, bounced the moon around. He chose instead to reach humanity through a human. And we think about how the 12 disciples had the mandate, but really it started with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ, the perfect man, started with a human. This is God's plan. And then Jesus says in John 17, As the Father had sent him into the world, so he is sending us. How did God send Jesus? He said, Son, you've got to go down and become flesh. Jesus dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Therefore, when it comes to evangelism, we don't have to worry about our humanity. And God's purpose is to reach the world through frail humans, through frail humanity. And it's amazing how it works. Now, if we get too trained and, and, and too smooth, that actually it can become a turnoff. I'm not saying not to go through training, but it's amazing how God uses humanity. And Jesus became one of us to reach us. So my principle here is, so too, we need to become like the world to reach the world. Ouch. I mean, is that biblical? My best passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I need help on that. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Read it through the mic, loud and clear. Thank you.
2: For though for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may be all means to save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Thank you.
0: And I, I like that emphasis. I made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. I became as a Jew that I might win the Jew. I became as under the law that I might win those under the law, etc. The whole thing's about winning souls. The whole thing is the things that we do to win more men. And of course, I'm not saying, We've become exactly like the world. I mean, there is, there we can't. We there is a point where we don't compromise. We we become, but we must become like the world, without participating in the sin. I mean, I, like for example, go, go to a bar with them, play golf with them. I mean, Jesus was like us, but he was very different. So that's the theme. He was like us, but he was different. If you think about how Jesus related to the people. First, he, by his radical identification, and then secondly, by his radical difference. I like to remember that by first ID, and then secondly by DI. First, he identified with them. He dined with the tax collectors. He touched the lepers. He spoke to prostitutes. But then by his radical difference, I mean, he was God. He was separate. I mean, he was really different. Now, Jesus seemed to respond to people by first noticing what they had in common, okay? Then later on, in the context of those similarities, the Jesus difference really started standing out. So first the people identified with him, then they saw the differences. And then God's strategy has not changed. We can use that same strategy. Many Christians really cannot relate to non-Christians anymore. We just have lost it. Uh, I mean, I've tried to keep up, be able to talk about investments, talk about politics. I play poker with them, I smoke cigars with them, sit in the bars with them. Yeah, not the strip bars, but the bars, play golf with them. You know, and, and to think, you know, God could use great power. He could do signs and wonders that would be mind-blowing. But instead, he holds back. He chooses to use people. There's no other plan, no other way. I mean, I say, hurry up, God. It's just a, such a clumsy way to do it. But he, for some reason, he just uses people... And he is staying anonymous. And that's his plan. You'd think it's a little risky, but there's actually genius to this plan. So the two words that characterize Jesus is he's a model of openness. He's a model of identification. That's what we got to be. Openness. He was a listener. He was transparent. He related to the little guys. He was touchable. He was reachable. He touched the lepers. He let little children come sit on his lap. And identification. He was a model of identification. I mean, he became flesh. He was God who became flesh. He was hungry. He was tired. He sweated. He wobbled in his faith. I mean, just like us. He ate with sinners. He understood our needs. He empathized. I mean, that is identification. Identification. In Hong Kong, I wanted and tried to mainca- maintain contact with the non-Christian world. The best one I could find is a non-Christian group that I was part of. It's my poker group. Every Friday night, 14 of my 17 years in Hong Kong, gathered at the best club in Hong Kong. and uh, About 10 guys. We'd always have only eight, but there was a group of 10, and, we, and out of the 10, eight every night. We talked about politics, we talked about local gossip, talked about stock market, uh, 9-11 hits, sports. This is a classic pagan group, just perfect. (laughs) And uh, I have to admit, sometimes I got uncomfortable, especially when they had a birthday party for a guy and they had a transvestite come dance, you know. But... uh, They all thought that was great. And and sometimes I got too comfortable. That's not good either. But that's, I I just bring this up to show the principles of first, identification. Second, difference. And I became a listener. You know, most men don't have friends. And if you're just going to be a listener, <laughs> amazing, go on and on. You don't get to say a word, but you are really serving them just by listening. Also, we played golf together. I'm not a good golfer, but I sure can bet with them. How much if I make this putt? Play Texas scramble. You know, there's a lot of money can flow. It's a lot of pretty, pretty exciting. And uh, but I won't go to the après golf with them afterwards. So we. Go to Macau, and there's uh, some amazing activities with the houses out there. The girls from Eastern Europe come in, and that's a big draw. And I just don't participate. I come back on the ferry by myself. I say, what's your problem, Yi? I say, come on, let's, let's do this, you know. Go check this website out. It's fantastic. And I'm sitting there actually listening to some of the stories. I say, I can't do this. It's going to cost me too much. What's matter with you? You tightwad! I mean, we'll, we'll we'll pay for it. No, no, it's not that. It's just going to cost me too much. And uh, so I and then I explained to them, and they they're just stunned. sitting at that poker table, talking about how it will cost me an eternity. I mean, I don't argue with you, how desirable that is, and how nice it is, how much, how much I really wish, but I just cannot afford it. I just cannot afford this because I. I will pay for this in eternity. And I tell you, some of them are quiet. Some of them are, are, are laughing at me. But the message gets through to them. The difference starts to bother them. And then after a while, you you, you get the call. The mayor of our game uh, uh, one day had his old girlfriend coming to town. Girlfriend that he's had a lot of fun with, traveled to Thailand with, and traveled to layoffs with and had a lot of sessions with her. And he actually called me up and he asked me whether or not he should divorce his wife. I knew his wife. And we sat at uh, 2.30 in the morning at the base of a big Hong Kong apartment building talking about whether or not he should divorce his wife. And I had a chance to talk him out of it. Later, they adopted a little boy. They had no children at that point. And I was one of his two character references he gave the the Social Welfare Department of Hong Kong my name as a character reference. And at my goodbye party when I was returning to the States, I told him it was one of the greatest honors that I have had in Hong Kong to be picked by him as one of the character references to talk for him to why he can adopt a little kid. And, you know, it's not how many people that you say you have as friends accounts. But in our business, it's rather how many other people out there will name you as their friend, and uh, and that was a big honor, and and I thanked him for that gesture of friendship, and he was touched. It was a little weak moment, and it was, since it was a weak moment, I said, and I hope someday you become my Christian brother too, and, because that ruined the moment for him. But <laughs> he recently wrote me a card, and. And from that card I know it's on his mind I know I know it's on his mind but the principle is the principle is we must learn to relate to people transparently and genuinely we must be real we must be open we must identify with people and this is the model of having a heart for evangelism and while Jesus was on earth I mean he functioned as a layman Jesus was not a VCW he was a layman Jesus was a people person. He enjoyed going to parties, having dinner with people, going to weddings. He took people along with him. He established intimacy with people very quickly. He was compassionate. He was caring. Jesus served people. He washed their feet. He cooked their meals. He visited the sick. He was approachable. Children loved him. In contrast, the holy men of his day were not approachable. Jesus was a huge contrast. So the important point is I mean if the Son of Man, the Son of God left the security of heaven to come to earth to show us the way, and why can't we leave the comfort of our middle class lives to reach people for whom Christ died? And people who come from Arizona up here or, or people that come from Colorado down to the other conference, we got to cross-pollinate. we got to share with each other what we're doing in our cities. we got to get out there and follow the example of Christ. So lifestyle evangelism is relating to people the way Jesus did, and that is why evangelism is a layman's job not the professional's job. I mean, do we believe this? And uh, too many people still bring their friends to church, get them converted. Why do they do that? I mean, they may say, well, I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough knowledge to, to share my faith. Well, effectiveness in witnessing is about conviction, not knowledge. It's not about knowledge. It's about Conviction is powered by love. Some people think I don't have a good enough life. You remember, no one is looking for perfection, they're looking for reality. And besides, when the pastor is good in the Chinese churches, people say, Well, well, he's paid to be good. When the layman is good, he's good for nothing. <laughs> that makes a big difference. And guys say, I don't have enough training. Well, Effectiveness is not about being trained, it's just being a witness. Like what Gail says, I mean, that first power encounter recorded us when the guy says, Yeah, all I know is that once I was blind, now I can see. That's a powerful statement. And and once once we as laymen experience the joy of seeing a friend converted to find Jesus, find the reality of this whole thing, you really get hooked. And that's how you get the heart for evangelism. You get a taste of the joy. And I think that's why God is doing it, cutting us in on the action. It's a great privilege. You get the heart after it happens. And there's no other plan. Think about how, how did all of us come to Christ. I put down three things here. Some of us came to Christ. Let me let me just do this survey. Have we done this survey that Ford Madison has done, Winston? Uh, if you have come to Christ through an evangelist, TV, Billy Graham, Luis Palau, that you heard the gospel and from this evangelism crusade you accepted Christ, could you could you stand up? Okay. St- Okay, stay standing. Usually there's more than that. But how about if you came to Christ through your pastor? A pastor shared the gospel with you, or, or, a, or a, uh, uh, a campus crusade guy, a navigator guy, any professional Christian shared Christ with you, that's how you came to Christ. Okay. Lastly, if you came to Christ through a layman, a mom, a dad, a sister, a neighbor, a colleague at work, a buddy at school—if that's a major influence in your life—stand up. Thank you. Now I don't know why this room is so heavy on that last one. Maybe it's because uh, uh, that uh, this is the heartbed of what I first saw in lay in in uh, in, in lay work. I'm telling you, I just did this in a, in a conference of 450 people in California. And I think the 450 people, about about 15 for uh, through an evangelistic crusade. There's a lot. There's like 40 or 50 from the from their church or their pastor. The other 390 people came, and then I, and I also Walt and I saw this done with 400, 4,500 all vocational Christian workers, and the vocational Christian workers themselves. Came, uh, the majority of them came because they were influenced primarily from a lay person. And most people here were largely influenced by laymen. I mean, how can any of us think that we are not significant, that we are not the primary instrument for God to reach the world? That's just the way it is. That's the proof. That's the Rest of my case. Now the, uh, the process. I want to talk about the goal, the goal of evangelism after the model. The layman is, is most effective for God because God's design for evangelism is to be more of a process than an event. The goal is not product. The goal is to just be part of this process. And this, this has helped me the most in my own journey. What has impacted my approach to evangelism the, mo- the most is to see myself realistically as only a piece of the action. And so we should take a long-term view of evangelism, not a short-term view. That crusades, knocking on doors, that's good, spiritual force, spiritual laws But that's all, that all co- encompasses a short-term view. In Wal Henderson's book, A Layman Look Up, God Has a Place for You, he maintains that all of us are a product of a multiplicity of influences. And we may have had a godly grandparent praying for us, or the example of a mother and father, or maybe a Sunday school teacher that first told us Bible stories and gave us our first impression of God. Or maybe in high school you, you went to a Young Life retreat, or you met crusader or, or navigators in college. Or maybe there is a colleague at work or a neighbor or or even your wife share with you Christ. And then you're currently sitting under good Bible teaching in your church. But we are all a product of all these influences. And all of these influences have been orchestrated by God who loves you personally. And he is bringing these different people in our lives to produce us. So to be a part of this ministry, the best thing to do is you've got to see yourself as a piece of God's action. Don't need to take yourself too seriously, think it's all on you, that you're the, the big kahuna on the whole thing. You're just a piece of the action. The best illustration I have of this is, at home we have a German scale we found in a German antique shop, and it's got this mechanism in the middle, it's got this wrought iron base, it's got these two platforms, And it comes with these different weights, and so we put on a big lead uh, pot or something over here, and push that thing down, and we start adding weights on the right side. And the kids would play this with this endlessly. They just get it just so it would. These things would balance. Sometimes they put a toothpick on it, or this way they put on the different weights. There's little sizes of weights they put on it, or they sometimes even drop a little tissue paper on it. It We just Balance And the question is, I mean, which weight is responsible for tipping this scale? I mean, was it the last weight you put on it? I mean, if that is true, can we take away the rest of the weights and just tip it with the one? No. I mean, each stone or each weight is an important part of the process. Now, who is to say that any weight is any more important or any less important than another? Oh, of course, we think Billy Graham or Gail Jackson, I mean, that is a huge weight. You know, they come in, boom, you know, they put him on the thing and it just tip the scale. But in reality, you know, Billy Graham, he's a small weight. He comes in at the end. He tips the balance. And when I see a person going forward at a crusade, I see someone who is a product, from a multiplicity of influences going forward. It's not just the magic of one man. There's a guy named uh, Hunter, uh, a person from mainland China. I met him in Hong Kong, and uh, he used to work for a buddy of mine in the accountability group, a guy who ran Northwest Airlines in uh, in China. And uh, he got this uh, guy in, and this guy is very thrilled to be working for a big American company, Northwest Airlines. And for two years, my buddy really worked on this guy, Hunter. Shared Christ with him, modeled his life, had him over for dinner, just basically pleaded with him that did his best because as, uh, as a layman and, and, and functioning in, in that world, he's sharing Christ. And this guy was his right-hand marketing man. Nothing happened, never bingo. So he wants to get an MBA in the United States. So he applies to all these schools, gets into Dartmouth, goes to New Hampshire, and he meets Christians in Dartmouth. And these guys are sharing with them Christ and taking him out, trying to get him involved, and, and working on him for two years at Dartmouth. Nothing happened. And so he gets his first job at Deutsche Bank down in Wall Street, in New York City. And that summer before he starts work, he's, he's wandering around the U.S., you know, taking in the sights. He's in Washington D.C. It really hits him. It really hits him. All this stuff, you know, that he, you know, he ought to give his life to God. I mean, it is true. He knew it in his heart. He never let on, but they, but it hits their hearts. And he says, you know, I, I really ought to give my life to Christ. And so he walks into this Chinese church. Washington D.C. tries to find the pastor, and pastor meets him. He says, "Oh, you got to come to our fellowship group. You got to come to uh, this program. We got this coffee. We got a singles program. We got service on Wednesday night." the guy, Hunter, says, "No, no. I, I just, I just want you to lead me to Christ. Okay, just lead me to Christ." And uh, oh, pastor says, "Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah." <laughs> so praise with them, leads them to Christ. And uh, then he goes to work that September. He, he's in ground zero, 9-11. He sees that plane go in to the tower. Everybody's panicking. He comes downstairs just in time. He sees that tower collapse. He starts running. There's a cloud of dust coming after and He grabs his associate and, the, and a, a lady, and they're running for their lives. And he says, it's really strange. He said, I've been a fearful person all my life. I've just been scared. I'd never jump off a tree. I'd never jump into a river like the other guys. I've just always been scared. That that time I knew I I knew I was gonna die. I was not afraid. God was with me. And of course a cloud covered him. He couldn't even breathe. He couldn't see his hand. He said, I just had this feeling, this peace of God, God was with me. And and uh I know the pastor who led 100 to Christ may have thought he was a good evangelist. But that was dropped in his lap. Took four years of lay ministry to get him ready. Same with my wife. Took a lot of a lasagna, a lot of love. The ministry of evangelism is a by-faith venture from start to finish. You do not know which part you play. You do not know when the scale is ready to tip. Your job is to be willing to be a little weight in a person's life. Your job is to add weight. I know some of us don't look like we need to have anybody add weight to our lives. I'm not talking about that weight. You look for places to add weight in a person's life. It's God who orchestrates the path to belief. It's God who ultimately gets the credit. He's just cutting us in on the action. Paul talks about it, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 9. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward. There's that word again. According to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God's plan is to reach a diverse world through the diversity of his people. Process of conversion is a very complicated thing. It takes a little psychology, a little theology, a little social skills pinch of election <laughs> anyway the point is that we should not have to worry about having all the skills to do the job and that's the beauty of body life you may look at a preacher and say I can't do that I can't be as good as he is and that may be true but God does not expect us all to be the same your job is to identify your field of in, your sphere of influence and you work there. And you can reach people that nobody else can. So let me talk about my last point. The layman's methodology. The model is Jesus Christ. The goal is add weight. Just add a little bit. Tip that. Add something on that scale. The methodology now. Colossians 4. 2-6. to Somebody help me with that one. Thank
2: you. To prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should.
0: Keep going to the sixth
2: in a way that you act toward outsiders make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone
0: okay that's the best passage i found on it. it starts out with prayer you pray to god for an open door the word and you're speaking forth the mystery Like that blind man. I don't know what will happen. Once I was blind, now I can see. Mystery of Christ, and you make the most of every opportunity. That's the heart, and that's the focus. You let your speech always be with grace. My version says that your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were, with MSG, so that you may know. (laughs) Tasty and salty. My version. It's a Hong Kong
1: version.
0: I think it's helpful, though, to think of the methodology of evangelism as the hunt. I like to think of it as the hunt. I tell you the story of the frog and lizard. Some somebody's asked me, "What what is this lay lizard thing in your biography?" Well, uh, guys, I don't know if many of you know a guy named Ford Madison. Used to hang out with Gale and Walt and, and Winston. And uh, he was looking for a guy to give a talk. I didn't know how big this was. It was at Lausanne. It was, I mean, all, everybody in Christendom was there. Billy Graham was supposed to be there. And uh, 4,500 people. And I was going to give a talk on the, on the lay ministry. Right after the Koreans talked about how important the church was. And they, the, and, and it is important in Korea. And I got up there afterwards and Right before I got up there, Winston, not Winston, before said to me, "Ye, I want you now to put the turd in the punch bowl." <laughs> uh, I'd never heard that expression before. Put the turd in the punch bowl. I, I like that idea. You know, <laughs> oh, who put the turd? Who put that in there? But that's what he said. He said, "Get up there and put the turd in the punch bowl." So this is how we did it that night. Let me,
1: <laughs>
0: let me just read. I'll just read it. And have you ever noticed how differently frogs and lizards acquire their food? The frog just goes out, sits and waits on a lily pad. After a while, an insect will fly close to him and he sticks out his tongue and zaps it, He's got his food. On the other hand, if the lizard did what the frog does, he would soon starve to death. He cannot afford to sit and wait, but he must go out into his world, know where the food is to be found, and hunt. Now, the vocational Christian worker in this analogy is the frog. He goes to seminary, gets his degree, hangs his shingle. People know that he's in the business of meeting spiritual needs. Ministry comes to him. Before long, he has swamped. And uh, some frogs are so big, in fact, they have to hide in their hotel rooms or else they just get overcome with people looking for them for ministry. And by the way, I'm a frog. Right now, I come to Colorado Springs, and uh, voila. I mean, all of a sudden, I got uh, 100 choice men just sitting there listening to me. What did I do? Who deserve to be able to speak to you. But that's what a frog is. He, his ministry comes to him. But the layperson, on the other hand, is the lizard. In that for him to have a ministry, he's got to learn to hunt. If I put out a notice in Boston that you're coming to my town, no one would care. I mean, ministry does not come seeking you out. Instead, like the lizard, you must move around the environment that you that you live in, establish friendships, earn the right to be heard, be gentle, and in other words, you must learn to hunt. main problem today in world evangelization is the underutilization of the lay person. Part of the problem, indeed, is not the entire problem, is the vocation of Christian worker. He has a tendency to hog the show, make it revolve around himself. Also, the lay person looks at the professional and his gifts and his productions, and he says to himself, I can never be as great as that. And as you know, he's probably right, but only as long as he defines the ministry in frog terms. And unfortunately, there are so many sad lizards out there who think to have a ministry, you must act like a frog. Teach the Bible in public, speak at a gathering. Well, that's a limited view of the ministry. The lizard needs to know how God can use him as the lizard that he is. And when he catches that vision, learns that evangelism is not an event, but a process, learns to love and serve people, following the example of Jesus, more importantly, gets a taste of the joy of seeing a friend find the Savior. He gets hooked on ministry. He'll never give it back to the VCW. In Amsterdam 86, Stephen Olford declared that the days of mass evangelism are over. And perhaps what he meant by this is that the job of world evangelism is more and more becoming a lizard's job. The lizard represents the church's contact point with the world. He as he lives and works in it, he understands it and is familiar with the ways, with its ways. When he is differentiated by differentiated by his faith, the world takes notice. And most importantly, lizards go where frogs cannot go. Solomon knows that is lizards not frogs that you find in king's castles. And when nations close their doors to vocational Christian workers they will never be able to keep the lizard out we are in the time of a second reformation the first one put the bible in the hands of the ordinary believer the second one puts the ministry in the hands of the ordinary believer now with the remaining time I don't have much I want to talk about some of the uh, I want to go from the macro to the micro give you more details about the lethal lay lizards methodology. Got a question? We got, we got, we're how much time? We got about five minutes only, right? Sam.
2: Got a question. Does, hasn't it always intended to be that way?
0: Yeah, if you look at missions, you know, even Wilberforce, the great men, William Carey, it's always been intended, intended to, to be that way. It's uh, out of the purview of this uh Talk to talk about the uh, history like that, but actually, the, the faith took off. You know, the communists came and threw out the churches, closed everything, threw out the missionaries. The gospel just took off. So uh, it's part of the plan. That's my point.
2: So, so man came up with the idea of having the the frog concept.
0: Well. By the way, uh, that, that term, uh, you know, was, uh, it, it, it just, I don't mean to be derogatory with it. I'm just talking about just the way they, they, they hunt. But the thing, hunt for food. And the Bible says clearly that the role of the, of the minister is to, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 13, gave some as apostles. He gave some as pastors, evangelists, etc., to equip the saints so they can do the work of the ministry that is the job go to the church and you get prepared get trained and uh, but as winston says we want to be more than sheep we want to be disciples you know and uh, and if we if we're not getting our feeding at the church you just don't blame that don't blame the church because uh, you're not growing you're not becoming a workman I mean that, that has that is the way, but you that is no that is not an excuse. We got to get it. Our, we got to get it ourselves. Now I just have some things here uh, for the methodology: assess your sphere of influence, soul broadly, build bridges, earn the right to be heard. Got to ask for the order and using the concept of the divine appointment sphere of influence, the praying, you watch you watch for people that, get, that, uh, that God gives you on the job ask yourself, who do you have natural influence over? your kids even, your employees sewing broadly, that's part of the lifestyle uh, one kid at this last conference told me it takes less than six minutes to get the topic on on the faith, get the, t- get the discussion on centrality of the faith and uh, I, I talk a lot about the dramatic story after 9/11 I was telling the Hunter Shah story about how uh, how he became a Christian and everywhere you go you are on the hunt you become a connector Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called The Tipping Point I don't know if any one of you have read that yep and uh, how things spread this is how it started in China this is how communism started it wasn't a it wasn't a uh uh, institution. It wasn't a Billy Graham crusade. It wasn't a church. I mean, it was a person to person, mouth, you know, life on life, house to house, spreading of the gospel. It, it spread, spread like wildfire. You know, that, and that's that's how the, this book is out is talking about tipping points, and you become a connector, and uh, it's a science of networking. There's a lot of books now on that. Uh, Chris Candless, he takes his kids out of Christian school, puts them in public school, just so he can get more contact. Gail Jackson moves to Atlanta, and he goes to the most liberal church he can find. He tries to get himself into Sunday school, become teacher in Sunday school. I moved to Boston. You know, uh, Of course, my kids were there, but I didn't want to move to some place I knew about. You build bridges. You make the most of every opportunity. You do things that are relationship in nature. You meet him on his turf. You know, when a Christian gets together with a non-Christian, somebody's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, I would hope so. You come from different cultures. Well, who should be uncomfortable when a Christian sits down with a non-Christian? Most of the time we bring him to our churches or our gathering, they're really uncomfortable. You know, we should go to their places. We should go sit with them because uh, we should be uncomfortable. We should spend time with them, share our life with them, May I am mean, into stamp collecting, I'm into trading ukuleles on eBay because that's what my, my target, that's what my targets are doing. So I also own a ukulele. I didn't know you could trade them on eBay, but anyway. And then First Peter 3:15, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within you. to anybody who asks you yet with gentleness and reverence. I mean that's earning the right to be heard. And and, uh, you just wait. It takes time. But you love and you serve people. You demonstrate you you care. You conduct your life in a way that raises questions. The way I raise my kids, the strictness, some of the rules we have in our home, kids can raise a lot of questions. And I think of a theme song as the, the song. I'm dating myself now, but the movie Ghostbusters, remember I don't know how that song, but I just love the beat of that song you know when something happens, who are you going to call? do 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 who are you going to call the ghostbusters who are you going to call and that's the that's the theme song of the- lay, of the lay lizard we're out there we're sowing broadly we're building bridges, and who are you going to call when think when your life caves in who are you going to call when the deck gets reshuffled on you you know and uh and you're waiting. That you're earning the right to be heard. The call will come in. The call will come in. When a guy's thinking about divorcing his wife, the debt gets shuffled. or recently a, you find out your wife gets cancer, or you get, as a partner of an accounting firm, you get laid off. Tell of you, got to call somebody. You're not going to call the pastor. You're going to call your buddy. When that call comes in, you learn to listen for the inquiry. This is what we had at Goldman Sachs. We're sitting there at our desk and the call come in, a guy called up and said, Hey, what do you think's gonna happen with the Broncos this weekend? She said, guys calling from Fidelity, he's got something, he's got something. Everybody gets ready. He says, Oh the Broncos, yeah, I think they're a five point spread or whatever, you know. And he's talking about stuff, but there's something going on. He goes, What do you think of the market? Now we're moving. Now we're moving toward there. Is he a buyer or a seller? Is he selling technology? Is he selling the banks? Is he bearish, bullish, or what? And you just talk to him, and you just go along, and all of a sudden, bingo, there's the inquiry. He is going to be a seller of IBM or whatever, and you listen to that conversation. And that's what happens in this hunt. The call comes in. Hey, what's going on? You haven't heard from this guy for two years. Why is he calling you? He's just talking about normal stuff. They're, you got to listen for that inquiry. Something's going on. He, this is it. This is divine appointment. And I talk about the divine appointment. And that's the great thing about the Great Commission. The, uh, Jesus promises, as he tells us, to go into all the world and preach the gospel and, and to baptize at the double e, the evangelism and edification. Then he says, you know what? Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And that's, how you just, that's how you get the heart. That's how you get your heart changed. You participate, and you know, and there is the concept of a divine appointment. I I liken the idea of a divine appointment as close to it, like inside information when you're investing. I mean, you know, I mean, it makes everything so much easier. (laughs) The guy's set up. You're ready. You've been praying, Lord, who am I to talk to today? Bring me to him. The thing is set up for you. And you're just almost like expecting it. You know. And it's just, it's just great. It, it makes a difference. You go out in the morning, you pray, and you're expecting it. In conclusion, Wal Henderson says evangelism is the only business where the salesman is paid on the basis of the number of calls he makes, not on the closes. It's a process. We just add weight. You know, the scary part of evangelism, though, I don't have any license to be correct on this, the scary part of evangelism is that I think God uses it as a diagnostic reading of our hearts. Or it's a, it, it tells a lot of information about us. And as Winston says, it's the difference between sheep and disciples. One way of telling whether you're a sheep or disciple is to take a look at your evangelism record. I mean, do you have a heart for, your, for the lost? Doing evangelism is the way you develop that heart. It gives you a heart for the lost. I mean, it's a litmus test of your heart. Doing evangelism is a litmus test of your faith, your belief. I mean, is your religion more than the fact that you're an American? That's why you're a Christian. You cannot give away what you do not have yourself. You can't get excited about anything unless it's really exciting for you. can't make it attractive unless it's attractive for you. Doing evangelism will impact your eternity. I mean, Luke 19, 11, 27, Luke 16, there's a lot of parables that link what you do in evangelism with how you're going to spend eternity. Amazing stuff. Did you get involved in the Father's business while you're on this earth? The difference between it being a frontline troop and a backline troop, the frontline troops, you interview them, they want more air cover, they want more ammunition. They want they 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 want uh, more support. You talk to the backline troop. You know he's complaining about the mail. He's complaining about the food. The showers are cold. You know it's just rain. He's complaining about the weather. Just just focused on the wrong things. Not in the battle. Not in the battle. Wal Hendrickson told me his seminary experience was so dry that he had to get on campus at least once a week to share his faith to keep himself. Fresh, get on campus. I mean, we all have a Christian drift. We all go into periods of dryness. The best antidote to that is to get out and share your faith. It's that's why God does it for us. Evangelism is an antidote to sin. It's an antioxidant or whatever. You know, sin will kill your heart for evangelism. There's no power from the Holy Spirit, no desire to be God's person. Evangelism is also the antidote to fear. You fear a man, you're afraid to open your mouth. When you see it, bingo. You know that God is with you. I think I've run out of time, but I wanted to tell them, Walt reminded me, you got to remind yourself, you cannot contribute to the work of God. And what happens when you think that? You start manipulating the guy, you start abusing people. Esther chapter 4, verse 14, Mordecai is telling Esther, you've got to help us. He says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. If you remain silent, God will use somebody else. June and David ordered to not invite us for lasagna... God would have picked up somebody else to do it, but He gave you and David Otis that great joy. We are called to do God's work; we are not needed. Okay, it's like when a, a guy says, "You want to come in on my on my real estate deal? You're guaranteed win. We got the whole deal sold up. Give him I'll give him, take ten thousand dollars of it. Well, he doesn't need your ten thousand dollars, you know, but He's cutting you in on the action. See, and that's why we cannot take ourselves too seriously. It is a privilege. It is God who starts this whole thing. That's how it works. He calls you. He says, do it. I'm asking you to be part of it. Don't be ashamed of me. But he does not need us. That is the fine balance. Doing it because he loves us. He's doing it for his healthy, key to our health, key to our, our growth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, just being at this conference. Amazing. Just uh, a chance to hear things that we don't hear. A chance to think about things that we're too lazy to think about. And uh, on our part, we commit to you not to let this weekend go to a waste. We want to be different we don't think there's much time we got to get off our butts start doing something we thank you for all the different men and factors that went into this conference all the things that you orchestrate in our lives to bring us to your knowledge and to grow us we dare not take that lightly we're signing up to be part of the action. And thank you for cutting us in. In Jesus' name, amen.